Welcome to the Beginner's Guide to All Things Economic, Political, and Sociocultural. Here, we'll be sharing quick bites into all the topics, concepts, and theories that we all talk about but should probably know a little bit more about. I'll be doing my best to keep it all unbiased, to the point, and hopefully interesting enough to inspire you to dig a little deeper on your own. With that being said, I'm your host, Emmy Davis, and I'm joined this week by Jeremy Davis, and this is a beginner's guide to voting. Thomas Jefferson is credited with saying that we in America do not have government by the majority. We have government by the majority who participate. The Founding Fathers carved out multiple avenues for participation for those who wish to fall into that majority with voting perhaps being the most important. And perhaps the easiest way to participate. Between local races, midterms, and general elections, there's really only a few days out of every year that citizens need to take some time to go and vote. It's seemingly only becoming more convenient when you take into consideration mail-in voting and shuttle services that'll take you to and from your local polling stations. Despite voting as a concept being understood, voting in America is now largely misunderstood. While Jefferson did say that we have a government by the majority who participate, he along with the rest of the Founding Fathers were adamant in safeguarding the country against what they called tyranny of the majority. Correct. This is why the United States is considered a democratic republic and not a direct democracy. The distinction between the two is simple. A republic more or less relies on elected representatives of the people to make governmental decisions. A direct democracy more or less relies on the citizens to vote on all governmental decisions, having whatever receives the majority vote become the law of the land. The decision to forego a direct democratic system was done so in order to protect the rights and the importance of the minority, whoever that is at any given point. This is where the Electoral College comes into play. The Electoral College was established to ensure that no state would outweigh another in influence. For example, they wanted to make sure that a vote in Rhode Island would be just as important as a vote in New York. The Electoral College is actually pretty clever. Each state was given as many electors in the Electoral College as it had representatives and senators in Congress. How those electors would cast their final ballots were set to reflect the results of the popular vote in their home state. Today, most states simply cast all their electors towards the candidate who won the majority of their state's popular vote. There are a few states who split the electors proportionally to the results of the popular vote. So let's say that they have five electors to cast and candidate A won 75% of the popular vote in their state and candidate B took home the remaining 25%. They would cast four electors for candidate A and one elector for candidate B. So while yes, your friend from college may be right in saying that their presidential vote doesn't even technically vote the president in, they're still ultimately wrong in the point they're trying to make. Swinging a state from blue to red or red to blue can make all the difference and can only be done through everyone participating. I still hear a lot of complaints around our voting systems, though I don't often hear alternatives thrown out. What are some of the voting systems we can see countries using? Yes. There are a handful of other systems worth mentioning. There's what's called first-past-the-post or plurality, and it's exactly what it sounds like. One winner who receives the most votes first. We see that in some of the American congressional races. Exactly. It's also used for some elections in countries like the UK, India, and Canada. Block voting gets a little more complicated, but not by much. 
The number of winners is dependent on the number of open seats at play during the election. Candidates who win the highest amount of votes win. Lots of countries use block voting for local elections in multi-member districts. Are there any major downsides seen with this? It kind of depends on who won and who you ask. It has been shown to easily lead to landslide victories by a single party. Which you could then argue cuts out representation of the rest of the voters. And that would be the main issue that people point out. Okay. Now, I think proportional representation is where it gets interesting. Here, all votes contribute to the results regardless of plurality or majority. So the makeup of the government looks exactly like how people voted. That leads me to believe that this only works with a multi-party system. Yes, this would not work in a single ticket wins, nor with a two-party system. A lot of parliamentary governments like the UK, Ireland, and Israel vote this way. Got it. For example, then, party A receives 44% of the vote, party B received 20% of the vote, and party C received 36% of the vote. Party A gets 44 seats, party B gets 20 seats, and party C gets 36 seats. Which then would force two of the parties to form a coalition in order to gain the governing majority and have a chance to get anything done. Downsides? Because it's ultimately reliant on different parties working together, it can be an incredibly unstable form of government. If the prime minister runs into too much gridlock or if the majority coalition is broken, a new election is called and the process starts from the beginning. How often does that happen? More than you'd think. In some cases, we've seen parties fail to form any kind of majority coalition and an election had to be called almost immediately after they had just had one. So what about ranked choice voting? There's been a major push for ranked choice voting here in the United States on both the local and national level. Ranked choice voting starts out pretty simple, but can leave a lot of people confused towards the results portion of the system. It has been used in some state elections and could technically work for some of the federal races as well. Additionally, it would greatly boost the chances for a third party candidate. The voting process is simple. The voter receives the list of candidates and ranks them numerically from most preferred to least. If there is a candidate who wins 50% or more of all first choice votes, then they win and it's done. But if there is no candidate with 50% or more, then the candidate with the fewest first choice votes is eliminated from the race altogether. Then they tally the votes from the second choice options. If there is a candidate with the majority of those votes, then they win and the whole thing's done. If not, the next lowest is eliminated and they move on to tally the third choice votes and so on and so on. So a little bit of an opinion time. What do we think of ranked choice voting? On one hand, I like that there is room for further representation of a third party. But on the other hand, the system really only works if everyone ranks every single candidate, which I personally don't have faith in happening. Plus, there is a part of me that has an issue with the second or third choice end up being a potentially more valuable rank. Then it could turn into people gaming the system a bit and ranking their first choice in the second or third spot, knowing that the likelihood of anyone winning in a single round is really low. But then again, Australia uses this system for nearly all of their elections. They have a different governmental system altogether, though. True. Which is another piece that is often forgotten in the conversations around voting. If the purpose around voting is to make your voice heard and have the government reflect the people, which system is best? 
A direct popular vote on the surface seems like the obvious choice. Until you think about how quickly that system can disenfranchise minority sentiments and voters. At the end of the day, you have to weigh the pros and the cons and see which one has the appropriate safeguards from a tyrannical majority and the representation of freedoms required for a prosperous society. Ah, checks and balances. As the free market is to an economy, blank is to a voting system. I'm not sure how to fill that one in, so I'm going to pass this one off to you, the listener. Does how we vote matter? Should we change the ways we vote? Why or why not? This has been the Beginner's Guide to Voting, and I'm your host, Emmy Davis. And I'm Jeremy Davis. This podcast is a subject entertainment production for Free Markets Destroy, a project of the Washington Policy Center. Free Markets Destroy celebrates the power of free markets to tackle humanity's most daunting challenges. The world isn't perfect, but it's getting better every day thanks to entrepreneurs who work tirelessly to deliver life-changing innovations. Washington Policy Center is a nonpartisan, nonprofit public policy research organization that publishes studies, sponsors events, and educates citizens on vital public policy issues. For more information on either, check out freemarketsdestroy.com or washingtonpolicy.org. As always, thanks for listening and do your own research.